Welcome to the Grace Baptist Church podcast for Sunday, May 29th, 2022. Today's sermon is from Hebrews chapter 7, verses 13 to 28. If you'd like to follow along, please go to gracebaptistchurchnc.org, click the current sermons link at the top, and click today's manuscript. Welcome to Grace Baptist Church. Go ahead and turn your Bibles now to Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7. A couple announcements, though. I'm going to read a card, and this is from the, from the Joneses. Thank you for the caring visits during our loss of, of Carl. Carl had become, has become an important part of our lives, and his passing has left a void. Uh, the flower arrangement sent by the church, the church family is lovely and provide David's mom, because it was David's mom's husband who passed away. He lives right beside of, of, of Gil and right in front of David and Anna. Um, but David's mom, some beauty that only God can provide. And so, um, continue to pray, though, for David and Anna and for their family in particular, as I'm, I know that uh, uh, Miss Rogers is, is by herself now, but hopefully these guys can, can help them greatly. But um, it's one announcement. On a lighter side, but a very serious side, I want to commend a book to you. I haven't read it, but just curious, anybody read Everyday Faithfulness, The Beauty of Ordinary Perseverance in a Demanding World by Glenna Marshall? My daughter has read it. I have one person who has read it, and that's Nicole over here. So, <clears throat> it's on the book table. I just want to commend it to you um, I've, from two people. If you have any questions, come and speak with Nicole. She'll be glad to give you a, a, a review of it. So, I'm going to put this here, and it'll be on the book table after. Hebrews chapter 7, we are, we're going to be, we've been there a couple weeks now, we're going to be there a couple more weeks. For If you are visiting with us, um, for sure, um, when we got to the end of Hebrews chapter 5, the author says there's some difficult things to speak of, um, and then he goes off into some other things, but we are right in the middle of some sermons on uh, the, the priesthood of Jesus, particularly looking at Melchizedek. From Hebrews chapter 6, 5, 6, 7. Um, and so you're coming in in the middle. This is second part of really three sermons. And so we're, we're kind of just going right through that. So I hope this, the, that there, there won't be as much explanation today as there has been in the last couple of weeks. But I hope it will still be helpful. Um, today, the, 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 the sermon title is called The Superiority of of Jesus priesthood and this is this is really part two but it's part one of this one so the superiority of Jesus priesthood and our verses today um, last week we looked at chapter 7 verses 11 and 12 but I'm <clears throat> today we're going to be at 13 to 19 um, and so let me just read go back from 11 to 19 for today Starting in verse 11, Now if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than one named after the order of Aaron? For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. 
For the one of whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe, from which no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah. And in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him. And here our author in verse 17 is quoting Psalm 110, verse 4. You are a priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness, for the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, at this time, as we approach your word, and as we read these words here from Hebrews 7, we need your help. And as your people, and as we pray in the name of Jesus, we pray your Holy Spirit would, would help us to understand. I pray that Jesus would increase, that I would decrease, that we would decrease. Father, in spite of me, I pray that you would work. I pray that we would get truths from your text. I pray that if someone is not a Christian, today they might hear the, the message of the gospel of Christ and turn unto him and be saved. Father, for Christians today, I pray that we would be encouraged, that we would receive truth, that we would be compelled by the love of Christ and, and, and what he has done for us on the cross and And as he is our great high priest, that we would leave this place and be godly in all that we do. Father, we give you this time. May Jesus be more beautiful to us. We pray in his name. Amen. So again, the topic, today's sermon title is the superiority of Jesus' priesthood. And we're comparing, and he's comparing the old priesthood under Mosaic law, under Aaron and his sons and the Levites who came and they were the ones who were the priests who had, did all the functions there with the, with the worship of Israel in the temple and you know, the high priest going into the Holy of Holies. So that system, he's saying, has been set aside because the new, the new system, the new priest has come. And so he's showing that this priesthood is superior to that priesthood. So that's the, that's the overall theme for this week and next week. But last week we talked about the idea of perfection. Look at chapter 7, verse 11. Now if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, then look down at chapter, chapter 7, um, verse 28. The law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath which came later than the law appoints a son who has been made perfect. This word can be translated as fulfilled or completed or perfected. And we talked about that last week. And his point is that Aaron's priesthood in the Levitical system under the law of Moses was insufficient. 
But, now it was, it was there. It was, it was good. Nothing wrong with it. It was just there for its time. Same as Melchizedek. He was the priest in the old... When Abraham came to him after his war, and he was the priest of Salem. The reason he is there is so that we can learn about Christ. So that he can point us to Christ. That's why he's there. And so the author is saying the priesthood of Christ is... Unlike the old Levitical priesthood, it is sufficient and it is vastly superior. This is why over and over the author tells those Hebrew Christians particularly, don't go back to that system. Don't go back to that old way. If they do, it will do them no good. For the priesthood of Jesus is better and it is superior. And in fact, it, it perfects or it fulfills it completes what was lacking in that priesthood. So today, I want to continue this topic and work through three more truths. And I've got four more for next week, but three, I don't even know if I'll get to them all, but three more today as we continue working through this text as to the superiority of Jesus' priesthood. Number one, I'm going to go ahead and give them to you. Jesus' priesthood is superior because it is of a completely different order. That's number one. Number two, his priesthood is indestructible. And then number three, his priesthood, unlike the old, brings us into the very presence of God. So number one, and the first one will be a little shorter than the last two, but number one, Jesus is superior because his priesthood is of a completely different order. Now here the author's point is that the priesthood of Jesus is not like Aaron's at all. But it's after what order? We heard it over and over and over. After the order of what? The order of Melchizedek, which is a completely different order. Look at verses 13 and 14. For the one of whom these things are spoken belong to, a, to another tribe, from which no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, and in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. So his point is, if you were going to be a priest, what tribe must you be from under the Mosaic law, under the old system? What, tree, what tribe must you be from? You had to be from the tribe of Levi. Levi, cool name, Levi. Tribe of Levi. You had to be from the tribe of Levi. But Jesus, is he from the tribe of Levi? No, he is not. He is from which tribe? tribe of Judah. And only in that system, the tribe of Judah, Aaron and his sons, could serve in, in the tabernacle, in the, the tent, in the, which eventually the, the temple. The tribe of Judah never served. In, when, he, when he comes to, to, to Jesus, he's saying this tribe, the tribe of Judah, never served in that system, because Judah and Levi are two separate tribes, and you had to be from the tribe of Levi. Um, this is, in other words, according to that Mosaic law and the priesthood there, the law of Moses, the system of worship given under Moses, the order of the priesthood and all of its ceremonies had come to an end in Christ. Why is that? Because with Jesus, there is a Completely different order, completely different priesthood. He serves 
at a different altar. If we want to go into that, what altar does he serve at? He serves at in a heavenly altar, not in the altar made by, by men. But think about it. God never said that the Levites would continue forever. He did say that one from the tribe of Judah would come and sit on David's throne forever. And so the Levites in that system, they had their place in God's history of revelation and instruction. But the priesthood of Jesus was of a completely different order. The priesthood of Jesus is not in accord with the law of Moses and its prescriptions given under the old Levitical system since he hails from the tribe of Judah. And the Old Testament prophesied this new king who would also be a priest. I'm just going to bring our, just recall Psalm 110, probably the most, especially verse 1, most quoted verse in the New Testament. But Psalm 110 is all about this king who would come one day from the tribe well, from the tribe of Judah, from David, he would come one day and he would reign forever. And so it's all about a king. But right in the middle, right in the middle of this psalm, we read the words, The Lord has sworn you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So you got, here's this king, and then you get this prophecy that he's not just going to be a king. He's going to also be a priest and when you think about the old Levitical priests, they had to come from the tribe of Levi, not from the tribe of Judah. Well, this one would come from the tribe of Judah, and he will be this priest. Now, when I, when I think about this, I think about the royal family. And the only reason I ever think about the royal family from England is because I married Commonwealth folks from Australia. And so, Kristen's shaking her head. She didn't get permission for this, this one this morning, but it's, it's not so bad, honey. But when you think about king or queen of England, who can be the king, of queen, king or queen of England? Has to be from the family, right? Has to be from the family. There must be proven lineage. <clears throat> and so we do not get this easily here in the States as we elect our officials. But the kings and queens must come from the family. If they are not, they do not qualify. <clears throat> so... It's the same thing with the Lord Jesus in this Levitical system. See, when the Jews looked at what this man, this author was writing, what the Holy Spirit was writing to them, it was like, wow, there's another one coming from not well, everything we have known. It's part of our culture. And so, now, to the Jews, it was no surprise that the Messiah would be a king from the tribe of Judah. Would they get that? They got that completely. There's many prophecies about this. But the problem for the Jews was not his kingship. It was his priesthood because Jesus did not come from the right family. And so with that in mind, I, I know we talked a little bit about that last week. I'm going to leave you with that. and we'll, it, That'll keep coming out as we go through. But that's the first truth. Jesus' priesthood is superior to the old. The old has gone away. His is superior because his is completely different. He did not come from that line. That's number one. Number two, Jesus is superior <clears throat> because his priesthood is indestructible. Look at verses 15 to 17. <clears throat> this becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek. 
who has become a priest. Not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent. So he's saying right there, he's not, it's not like the Levites, okay? Um, it's not based, his priesthood is not based on a legal requirement as, there was, as theirs was. But, notice what it says next, by the power of what? An indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him. He just says, Psalm 110, 104 again. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The argument here is very simple. The priests, under the law of Moses, had to be born of the tribe of Levi. They must prove their bodily descent to qualify as a priest. And as we saw last week, they began their priesthood at the age of 25, and they officially became priests at 30, and then at 50, what did they do? They stopped being priests in that system. They retired. So then new ones came along, and everything was finished. And then they lived, and then they, they died. But the author here says Jesus' priesthood was after another order, one that is indestructible. Psalm 110, verse 4 says, You are a priest forever. They were not forever. They were born they lived, they served their priesthood, came to their end, retired, they died. But you, the Lord Jesus, you're replacing this priesthood. You are a priest forever. This is an indestructible life. In other words, the Levitical priesthood is founded upon genealogy, but not the one of the Lord Jesus. The priesthood of Jesus is of a different nature. After the Order of Melchizedek. Look at chapter 7, verse 3. Speaking of Melchizedek, it is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues as a priest forever. Now, there are some people, when I, when I was studying these verses, says that this speaks about Jesus' deity. Others say that verse this, these verses speak about Jesus' resurrection from the dead. Well, of course, both are true, but I believe the emphasis is on Jesus' resurrection from the dead. His life will never be brought to an end. The key is the word forever. The priests of the old covenant could not conquer death. Priesthood of Jesus is indestructible because the Bible says death could not hold him. His priesthood, the, the priesthood of Jesus, is based on an indestructible life. So today, as Christians, today as followers of Jesus, if you are here and you are a Christian, if you've believed on him, the basis of your faith is not upon the systems of the religions and the things of this world upon which death resides. Think about it a little bit. Buddha, he lived and he died. Muhammad, he lived and he died. Just as we are, same as us, same as the Levitical priests under that system. All the great prophets, all the great kings of this world have lived and they have died. Our government, governments of this world, they come up, and what happens? They go down. They come up, they go down. They live, and they die. 
All of these things, peoples and civilizations, rise and fall. Now, God is working all things to an end, and He's unfolding that as we go. But all of these things and the things of this earth live and they die. Why is that? I say it all the time. It's very, very important for us. Because of the great enmity that exists between a holy God and sinful men and women. We are sinners. And because of we come, we come from the kin, we come from Adam's flesh. Adam and Eve had children. Their children have children. Their children have children. Sin is passed down to us. It is our nature. We are sinners by and that's why again we don't have to teach our kids to be to, to be bad. They'll be bad on their own. Little, my little granddaughter's throwing tantrums now, all of a sudden, at one year old. Can you believe that? Why in the world would she do that? Precious little thing, and she is. It's because of the sin nature that is in her, and that is in all of us, and then we follow that out, and we choose to sin. And because of that, what did God tell Adam and Eve? The day you disobey me, the day you sin against me, will be the day that you die, and that's certainly happen when I think about this why do you think the world is so fearful of death I mean I, I think that even some Christians that of course we fear the unknown but it's very clear when I read the New Testament these Christians did not fear death and so why does the world fear death so much I think that when you think about the world, what they are doing is doing everything they can to prolong death, take more medicine. David, we're talking about that this morning. Just keep you in your state a little bit longer, a little better, um, a little worse quality of life, but just prolong that. I mean, why do you think we've heard stories growing up about the, the fountain of youth? And then even you can read science fiction often that comes along, even with the Marvel stuff with Captain America, when he's got some extra life in him that keeps him going for quite some time. We, we like that because there's this underlying fear and understanding of death. And this world literally is, literally, a culture of death. And for everyone in this room and in this world, death is closer today than it was yesterday. Very much so. Therefore, for us, by way of application, I would say to all of us, do not put your faith in the things that will die. Those things that are destructible. And I think this is the author's point. They were putting their faith in that old system, which was those priests died. But we have a high priest. Yes, he died, but what did he do? He rose again from the dead. That old system was good, and it served its purpose, but it was destructible. But Jesus, on the other hand, as the Son of God, He was without sin. That is the difference. And yes, Christ did lay down His life on the cross. And we believe in the cross and we trust in the cross. And the cross is what takes away our sins. Not only takes away our sins... If you've trusted in Christ, yes, your sins are taken away. But not only are your sins taken away, the wrath of God that comes down 
from Him upon you also. There's expiation and propitiation. They're there, taken away completely because Jesus was sinless. And when He laid down His life, God said, yes, this is acceptable. That's why those old priests, year after year, year after year, year after year, there's the animal on the altar, dies. They're saying, yes, God, we trust. We're waiting for the promise. We're not talking about that today, but we've been talking about that. We're waiting for your promise to save. But in the meantime, we deserve to be on that, that altar. So even this week, when you think about your own sins, you think about your own anger, your own impatience, and your own lack of care for things you should care about. Not just those kinds of things, but sins of, of, that, that, that you've omitted. Lack of, of just obedience to share the gospel. Or lack of obedience to go in, into your prayer closet. And even when you don't feel like praying. And I'm speaking to myself. These are my sins. But all of our sins, all of, 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 of those things, if we were to go to the altar under that system, we would say with the Israelites and with that system, we deserve to die for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ. But when we think about the gospel, we think about Christ, He did die, but He rose again three days later. Which makes His priesthood, according to this text, indestructible. It's a different nature, a different order. Now, to finish this truth, I'd like for us to do some congregational reading. And then before we move on to two. Um, as we normally do, I will read a part, you guys read a part. I'll read a part, you guys read a part. So, Thanks, Caleb. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man also <clears throat> has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Therefore, my beloved brothers, this is for us, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Righteousness. 
For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. Brothers and sisters, Jesus' priesthood is superior to that old because He is risen from the dead and His priesthood is indestructible. Finally, this morning, number three. Jesus is superior because His priesthood brings human beings into God's presence. Look at verses 18 and 19. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its, pay attention to these words, weakness, because of its weakness and uselessness. For the law made nothing perfect. That was again our topic last week. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. Before I get to this specific truth in verse 19 about being drawing near to God, I need to speak about verse 18 for just a few minutes. If you remember last week, we spent our time on the fact that the old priesthood under Mosaic law was not complete because what it was looking forward to had not come yet in Christ. It was not in and of itself sufficient. In verse 18, here he says that it was weak and useless. Now, if we think about Mosaic law and the Levitical priesthood in that time, for its time, and at the time it was given, it was not useless in and of itself. It was good. In fact, Paul says that about, about the Mosaic law. It was right. It came to Israel through a holy God. So, my question is this. What is the problem? Why would the author say that that old system was weak and useless? Now, I think you know the answer. It is because of sin. And the great, again, we just spoke of this, the enmity, the gulf between a holy God and a sinful people. That priesthood particularly could not cover, atone for our sins and therefore make us right with God. Brothers and sisters, this is the problem with the world in general. The world and the people, those who are not Christians, whatever religion they are, whether they're atheists, I don't care where they're at, if they're not Christians, and this is a general statement, but down deep, the world is trying to cover their sins. That's what the world's trying to do. They're trying to do... How, how do you think they're trying to do that? With fig leaves from Adam and Eve from those days? No, the world is trying to cover their sins by doing, doing good works. That's why there are a lot of good works in the world. And in some cases, in many cases, better works the world gives than, than, than Christians in, in just as, as works go in and of themselves. What the world is trying to do is to justify themselves before God. They say, you know what? I'm not such a bad person. Have you ever talked to someone and tried to talk about sin? And they say, well, I'm not so bad. And next thing you know, they say, well, I do my best. Or they say, well, as the, one, you know, the woman at the well who changes the subject, they change the subject. Or they say, well, that person's worse than me. 
So they sh we shift our attention. But what the world is trying to do is justify themselves. And we do the same thing as Christians. It's just then we know the truth and we look under Christ and we go, I can't do it. Christ has done it for me. But that's what the world is trying to do. They're trying to make themselves look good. And they continue over and over and day after day and year after year trying to make themselves look good. So in, my question is, in principle, what are they doing? Well, I mean, if we just look back and stand back and think about this, this subject, the world has some kind of standard, has some kind of inkling of some kind of righteousness out there somewhere that is good. I mean, the, the world knows you, you shouldn't murder, right? What happened this past week? Wow, I can't even begin to, to go into, you know, all the depths of that, what was going on with that person who, who did that. But generally speaking, the world knows that it's wrong. That's why we're making such a big deal about it. We know it's wrong. We know it's evil. We know it's something moral going on here. And so when Paul writes in the, to the Romans concerning the Gentiles, those without the law of Moses, Paul, he says in Romans, if you go back and read Romans 1 to 3, he says that by nature, the Gentiles sometimes do what the law of Moses requires. They don't even know they're doing it. Romans 2, verse 15, he says, For when the Gentiles, that's the nations, not the Jews, for when the Gentiles who do not have the law, talking about what, we're, what the, the author of Hebrews is talking about today, they don't have the law, by nature... They do what the law requires. In other words, they don't even have the law of Moses. They're without hope, without God in this world, as Ephesians tells us. But sometimes they, they do these things that are right. He says they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. But they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness. Telling you, when I've watched the news this past week, everyone's conscience knows what happened down there in Texas was wrong. And our conscience and everybody's conscience knows that. Because our conscience, according to these words from Romans 2, if, as Gentiles, conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. So this truth, in principle applies to the Jews of Paul's day as well, this truth in principle. They look at the law of Moses, and they're trying to obey. They're trying to be good. And in some way, they are believing that these works of the law are justifying themselves before God. Which, If you go and read the New Testament, that's who Jesus mostly speaks with. Those Pharisees and religious leaders are trying to justify themselves according to the works of the law. But then, in Romans 3, verse 9, Paul says, what then? Are we Jews any better off than those Gentiles? Can you believe that? That Paul would say that? To which he answers his own question very emphatically. No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. That's Romans 3. This is why the law of Moses and the priesthood under that law... According to verse 18, here in our text, chapter 7, verse 18, weak and useless, because the law made nothing perfect. 
The law of Moses and the priesthood of Levi under the law of Moses was given to the people of Israel and even in that day, anybody who would come through Israel as well for that time. Why? It was given. Well, there, we could give many, 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 many reasons. But what is the main reason it was given? What is the main reason that system, old priesthood, was given? Why Melchizedek? <laughs> that system was given so that it might point to Christ as the one who has perfected, as the one who has completed all of those things. The one high priest who would come. So let me ask. Did any priest in that old system ever fulfill all of what the law of Moses commanded? No, of course not. We could even go further back. Did Adam? Of course not. Did Noah? Did Moses? What about David or Solomon? Or any man or woman that descended from Adam? Has anybody ever kept that? No. So what about you? What about us today? Of course not. In this way, the priesthood under Mosaic law was useless and weak. Let me give an illustration. Let's say that you were coming from Australia to visit the States, which here we are, another one, honey. This one's not bad either. Don't worry. And you had to cross the Pacific Ocean, and you're given two choices. From Sydney, Australia to Los Angeles. And you're going to get there. One, here, first choice is the life preserver. Take off, put it on, take off. That's your first choice. You're thinking, I need a second choice, okay? The second choice is a, is a cruise liner, a nice one. And it's not the best illustration because a cruise liner could still sink. Christ cannot sink. His life is indestructible. But you get the point you will not make it if you put on the life, although the life preserver is good, nothing wrong with it. It works really good if you put it on and float around and you swim for a while. And you, I guess feasibly you could make it if you had food and water and those sharks and da 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 da. But you, you get the point. You're going to take the second one. So, in the same kind of way, the old covenant isn't effective to do what it was. Christ finally comes and fulfills and perfects and does. Look at verse 11, chapter 7, verse 11. And I'm almost finished here, guys. 7, 11. Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, he's saying if that would have been sufficient, then what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek? This is why... When we come to the book of Revelation, and John is there, and he's having this vision, and he weeps. Do you remember when he weeps? you remember what, how, why he is weeping in the book of Revelation? Here, I'm going to read Revelation 5, verses 2 to 5. John says, And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? Who is worthy? And he's weeping. And then, no one in heaven, on earth, under the earth, was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And then I began to weep loudly 
So his, his weeping gets, it elevates because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And then one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Brothers and sisters, as you consider your best works before God and know they fall short, weep no more. So as you look at your life and you look at the sins of your life and the sins you've committed and, the, and then all the, and you're reminded of your sins. You're reminded of your past sins because of the circumstances, because of the consequences of your past sins. Trust me. That's why young people stay pure. Less consequences of your sin later in life. But it, but it doesn't matter. All who have sinned, we are not worthy but, brothers and sisters, weep no more because there is one who is worthy because we have a great high priest, one that the old system could not, it was not sufficient, but God has sent His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Weep no more. So when we think about the old covenant, the old Levitical system and the Mosaic law, it reminds us of sin and death. Think about it. Every day, at the temple, every week, Every month, bloody animals over. And th I mean, really, think about it. So when everybody saw that system, what did, it, what did it remind them of? Sin and death. Sin. Because it never stopped. It continued. That's why I think, wow, the, the Jews today, they believe the king is coming, but the priest, that's the part they don't get. And so when we think about the Old Covenant, it reminds us of sin and death, but it was not effectual to forgive our sins. And here we're moving on to our truth, finally, very briefly, because it could not cover our sins, that old system, it could not bring the sinner into the presence of God. Because God cannot look upon sin. I mean, that's a matter of speaking. In other words, we're not going to dwell with God as sinners. We're not, because it could not cover our sins. The old system could not bring us into the presence of God. The blood of bulls and goats was weak and useless to do so. Now, there was hope in the old covenant for sure, but only as it pointed to the high priest, Melchizedek, the one after that order who would come one day. And as we've seen, he conquered Death. He laid down his life as a sinless sacrifice and he conquered death and he ascended to, to heaven. So where does Jesus sit now? Hebrews tells us right from the beginning, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. That's where he's at. At the right hand of God. This is why Paul can say to the Ephesians and to, to us today, these words are for us, we are seated in the heavenlies with Christ. According to verse 19 here, with this new covenant in Christ, we can now actually draw near to God. Since the fall of Adam, sinful mankind has not been able to draw near to God. I, could, I thought about, before I preached this sermon, going back and looking at all the times, the troubles people had when they came into the presence of God. 
And we could do that, but I'm not going to do that this morning. But Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden where they walked with God. God walked with them. And this is the great problem of mankind. We cannot get into God's presence. Go back to justifying ourselves, trying to do the good works. Somehow we want to get to the presence of God that what was lost back in the Garden of Eden. Now, it is true that God is omnipresent, that He holds all things together. And even Paul says in Acts 17 that He is near. He's not far from any of us. But at the end of the day, there's nothing that a sinner can do that we can do to regain God's presence with us on our own works or under that old system. The best we can do under the old priesthood is for the high priest to go into the temple once a year, the Holy of Holies. And the Holy of Holies was only a picture of the throne room of God where Jesus now sits. So this earthly priest, that earthly priest, could never take us there. But today, Christ has gone, according to Hebrews, beyond the curtain and He has entered heaven Himself. So this means, as I bring this to a close today, that now we have access to God 24-7. to 24-7. I don't know exactly where it's at. First Peter, we are holy. We are a holy priesthood. We are priests. Now, that has to do with the, 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 the person and work of Christ and the coming of the Holy Spirit. But we have access. You have access to God 24-7. So in closing, look over with me to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. I'm going to read verses 19 to 23. In closing, <clears throat> as a way of, this is our application. And I know, brothers and sisters, this text is in Melchizedek, and this is a very technical, but I appreciate you. These are different kinds of sermons, but I appreciate you listening. And I appreciate, and, I, and even for next week, go and read chapter 7 yourselves again over and over and try to think about the concepts. And then pray for me that I can make them as simple as I can. And, uh, and there are a lot of applications coming. But for today, we're going to finish with Hebrews 10, 19 to 23. Therefore, brothers, that's brothers and sisters, since we have confidence, I think that old high priest had no confidence when he went into the Holy of Holies because they tied a rope around him thinking he might die, he might not get out. Therefore, we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. As we'll look forward next week to taking the Lord's Supper by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way. There's the indestructible life, new and living, that He opened for us through the curtain, that is, through His flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, brothers and sisters, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord God, for these words today, for our great high priest. We know that Melchizedek was given for one reason, that he might point to Christ. He served his purpose. 
for us right here in the Scriptures. Thank you so much for our High Priest, the Lord Jesus. And we draw near to you with confidence. We don't have to wonder, was it work? did it work? Did the death, the, the, was the blood of, and of Christ not perfect? We don't have to wonder and worry. He who knew no sin became a curse, became sin for us. So Father, help us this week as we go out into this world in our lives. Help us to be godly, to look unto Christ. For it's in His name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grace Baptist Church podcast. You can listen to past sermons at podbean.com. Search Grace Baptist Church China Grove to find us. You can also find us on Apple Podcast. Search Grace Baptist Church China Grove. You can also join us at the South Rowan YMCA, 950 Kimball Road, China Grove, North Carolina. We meet on Sunday mornings at 930 for fellowship and service starts at 10. Thank you for listening and remember to be intentional in making disciples this week.